Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. I'm sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. So did you hear about CM Punk? I did not hear about CM Punk. So you've heard about AEW, though, the brand new wrestling company that's sure, like rivaling yeah. WWE. Mm-hmm. Well, seven years ago, the biggest star in wrestling besides John Cena, CM Punk, he walked away from WWE just right out of the gate. Like he was like, like he was out of nowhere. He's gone. Right. And for seven years, fans and arenas have been chanting CM Punk, CM Punk, and they have. Um, been crying his name out in vain and this past friday uh when we're recording this he came back to aew and he talked about how he left pro wrestling and wwe wasn't pro wrestling so it's been much longer since he's left but he makes this little moment this like this little like some people were upset by the way he left the a business right and like would talk about the business after he left and he says I can I can be apologize or empathize with you on that one. If you can empathize or understand the fact that I had to leave that place so I could get healthy because I was I wasn't healthy and I was sick. Just like this guy <laughs> needs to get healthy and find some to find some love in his life. And this movie Scrooge, Bill Murray needs to find some love in his life because he's sick. The man is sick, John Newman. Oh, wow. Okay. And there we are. Welcome to Jacob Marley is Dead. This is a a podcast that, as I've said on this show before, is occasionally about wrestling, but mostly about a Christmas carol. I am your host, John. And I am his sidekick, Jimmy. How you doing, John? I am... I am good. I'm busy. <laughs> For those of you who aren't like friends of the pod, I'm a high school teacher and we are back in the building for the first time in like a year and and change. Um, And kids start next week. So we've just been getting ready for that. And that is uh, number one, why um, several episodes of the show have not come out yet, including the last episode of the guy Pierce, which hopefully if you're listening to this, You've also listened to that at this point. Yeah. And the first episode of The Scrooged, uh, neither of those have been edited yet. So a little little peek behind the curtain. Um, but they ah. will be uh, what, what as is, things what, calm down. 
doesn't matter, John. It doesn't matter. What is time is relative, right? That's yeah. what Einstein said, right? Einstein, I, you know, guy with the funny hair and tongue sticking out. You know the guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking Einstein. of that, we're talking about uh, Bill Murray's uh, Scrooged. Also guy the, with funny uh, hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially in this movie. Oh, man. Um, There's a lot of funny hair pieces in this. Like, hair goes all over the place in this movie. Like, yeah. And, like, there's some really good, like, interesting takes. Like, later on with the future, we can talk about some des- design there. Sure. Real Overall. But, like, Murray's hair and Bobcat's hair are chef's kiss. Like, they're just amazing. <laughs> like, they're great. Oh, man. Well, with with that in mind, why <laughs> why waste time? Let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's get into it. This is Jacob Marley is Dead, and we are concluding our conversation about 1988's Scrooged. One was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. And one was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day in the morning. So when we last left our hero, mm. Frank Cross, who is our Scrooge stand-in for this version, played by Bill Murray, uh, he had just interacted with the cab-driving ghost of Christmas past, and he was kind of on the verge of a nervous breakdown, and he was going to talk to an ex-flame named Claire, mm. played by Karen Allen, and that's kind of where we're going to pick up here. Um yeah, we we establish who Karen Allen is, how they split right at the end of the Ghost of Christmas Past sequence uh, over a disagreement about, you know, their directions of their lives. Yeah. And yeah, Cross is right on the edge right at this moment. Like he's just about to break and and then he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but before he does, Bobcat Goldthwait does because... Uh, Elliot Loudermilk, who was fired by Frank Cross at the start of the movie, um, has been slowly spiraling out of control. We saw him like getting drunk, walking home, getting splashed by water, kicked up by a car. And now he is selling his own blood to a blood bank to, I guess, make some rent money for the apartment that he's in now that his wife's kicked him out. Yeah, let's not get back into that conversation. However, you edited that masterpiece. Uh, Anyway, so here's the deal. We've got him getting some money, some amount of money. We don't know how yeah. much. And the old trope of some juice and a cookie. Yeah. Um. This is a go-to routine. Somebody somewhere said like, oh, just take my blood and I get a cookie? There's comedy in that. Like, yeah. Yeah. like so it's a good bit here. It's was been done selling another- blood a thing in the 80s? Totally, totally. It was at it's least not the a ret- thing now, right? Le- like I know you can sell platelets, but yeah, maybe that's what they just. Maybe it was the, that type of thing where somebody heard half of a fact and just assumed that sure. just blood in general was how you got the money. But this has been done in many different shows and mm-hmm. movies. Like I can remember Will Smith on an episode of Fresh Prince of Bel Air was like giving blood like all the time. Or at least that's what my memory is. It's going to turn out not to be Will Smith at all in some other show. But like I'm pretty (laughs) – I'm not 85% sure it was Will Smith in an episode trying to give blood and gave it like three times a week and was like done. And Steve Martin in The Jerk 
famously was doing sure. that for one bit in the movie. Sure. I know a lot of facts about nothing. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, Frank Cross, um, he is going to this this homeless shelter where where Karen Allen's character Claire works. And I feel like this is interesting. Like they always they always position like the bell or bell figure as like the exact opposite of the Scrooge figure. Where like he's this hotshot TV executive, right? Pouring millions of dollars into mindless entertainment. And she's like taking care of the homeless people in New York on Christmas. We've seen her like working in a children's hospital. We've seen her working with homeless people in Victorian London. Like they always position her as this, um, you know, charitable person when she comes back into the narrative this way. And the novella is pretty much clear that it's not, she's not like working in an orphanage or anything. They don't, she just don't has know. a large, we just, she just has a large family, right? Yeah. And yeah. ha- has a husband who uh, we know sees Scrooge on one Christmas Eve, like yeah. that. We that interaction, which we have seen in one version of a Christmas Carol, right? Uh, which Scrooge was that? That was uh, I think that was Seymour Hicks. I think that Hicks? was Seymour Hicks. And or, which, no, that might have been was it Alistair Sim? I don't know. No, I think it was Seymour because it was uh, more recent. But anyway. Right. It was when Seymour was trying to be young Scrooge for like the one young Scrooge scene, <laughs> and like it wasn't working at all, which is kind of what they do here. They they play their younger selves besides the 1950s flashback. But anyway, like there we get like a pretty honest, I think, interpretation of like she's a woman of some status in, of society, and sure. they, just, they just differ a little bit, right? Most versions now make it like you say she's a saint. She's yeah. out there doing the Lord's work. I think I wonder too how much of it is about like giving her a little more agency because in if you really think about like the no, the novella when Scrooge sees her at the end with like all the children and stuff like all it's basically saying is like this you could have had this life right this woman could have pumped out a bunch of kids for you and you could have been happy it's almost less about her than it is about like like Scrooge's sort of lack of family tactfully said john i think um it's i think you're right in that it's it's just a traditional life is what he's giving up here and i think that at the end of the day they're just trying to make her the opposite of him that's what it's going for here Mm -hmm. it's it's if he is bad if he is evil right then she left him she must be good and she has to be that extreme and this is probably Besides maybe the Nick Cage version, the most uh, extreme of that, right? Yeah. She's pretty far, she's pretty saintly in the Nick Cage one, but this one's pretty darn close to being the most holier than now. Yeah, definitely. So this scene where he, where he comes to the shelter is kind of weird. It's bad. And it's It's, bad because of Bill Murray. It's bad because of Bill Murray. He's acting like, Deep cut here. He's acting like Martin Short in the movie Clifford. Wow. Do you know that wow. movie? I I I don't know that movie, but if you're going to bring Martin Short into it, I mean, I feel like Martin Short's one of those actors who it's either really good or really, really bad. When he's on, there is none better. When he is on, he's amazing. He's white heat. Like, he's that hot, yeah. right? Yeah. When it is... 
By the way, I listened to Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about that today, and I was like, I'm totally bringing it up in the podcast, and I sure <laughs> that it's so good there. So good. Anyway, so, and then on the other side, you have him when he is a red dwarf. He is the weakest of all. Like, he's so bad, he's about to go supernova. He's breaking yeah. down. And yeah, so, yeah. two references. Okay, so, the deal is, you have Martin Short in that playing a juvenile delinquent brat with some sort of problem right Uh he's playing that part as a full-grown adult right opposite adult actors playing adults yeah it's horrible oh boy that's bill murray in this scene so i i think that i will i will go so far as to say i don't 100 blame it on bill murray he's the one giving the performance but i i think that Based on our conversation last time, we can also put some of that blame on Richard Donner, who, as we know, was pushing him to give this like broad, big performance when he wanted to do something more subtle. I think that I mean, I think that comes through. This is definitely an actor trying to give the director what they want and failing because they are they don't believe it. Right. Even though they're committing to it and they're doing it full out, they don't quite believe it. And. Look at Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler believes it. When he goes full stupid in like Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore, he's committed to that stupidity. Right? Yeah. And, and 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 Bill Murray is the problem here is like in one scene, he's having a having a, a very powerful argument with his brother, and the other scene, he's Will Farrell and stepbrothers. And I like stepbrothers, yeah. but I don't like my stepbrothers mixed with some really heavy crap and you get that all intertwined and you get this scene where there's some serious stuff going down and it just is undercut by his performance yeah yeah it is that fakery thing where you feel like he's not committed to it and therefore you and you can tell how uncommitted he is so just just to describe this like when he leaves the studio where they're filming the christmas carol special he's kind of like ranting and raving his thoughts out loud Mm -hmm. and and then it's implied that he's been doing that the entire way to this homeless shelter because he kind of comes into frame doing it right either either this place is right around the block or he's been doing it for an entire, entire yeah. walk. And, and I mean, it's New York City, so it's like not like that would be out of the ordinary, I guess. But, it, it, but like, <laughs> and here's my problem New York City, it. too. They didn't run into each other. She didn't, she didn't work that close by and decided, you know what? I'm going to pop in. I, yeah. I walk by it every day. It would be awkward if I don't say something, because what if we do just run into each other on the street? and break the ice and who knows if she has this strong of a passion for him to instantly be back like wanting to get back together with him then that thought would have crossed her mind no it is down 16 blocks and he's been muttering like a madman but this is pre-giuliani new york so they didn't knock him on the head and throw him to your in town so there we go how insane is it right now that the phrase pre-giuliani new york implies a bad thing Dude, I'm not touching that one with a Giuliani-length <laughs> pole that he would beat on the homeless with. Anyway, so let's move along. Um, so, <laughs> so there's these like comedy homeless people, right? Nice transition. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that wasn't even intentional. It's beautiful. No, it wasn't. So, but it was the natural flow. <laughs> these homeless people that will be beaten off with Giuliani's homeless beating stick eventually. Um, oh God. 
That's our who, new t-shirt. <laughs> who, like, they're homeless, and they definitely play them as, like, mentally handicapped or 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 slightly schizophrenic or something there's like a weird disconnect with reality happening because they think he's richard burton well they i think some of them are are actually seeing something here right Mm -hmm. and i think some of them are playing along with it right sure or just getting lost in it maybe I, i i mean we're not doctors I don't want to start going around saying this is a good representation of something or not. I'm not going to say it. I will say that in a scene where they are supposed to be of some sort of meant, you know, they're supposed to be quote unquote crazy, right? Mm -hmm. They are the least over the top performance in the scene. I am not going to stop harping on this. Bill Murray is pretty wild, isn't it? Is out crazying these, these supposed to be crazy people in this homeless shelter and it that's not a good thing even though he's supposed to be fearing god at this moment and like going through the journey and like hellfire and brimstone are going on around him he just went through the you know the the highlights of his past that suck like those are bad reruns like he it's not this level at this moment and yeah this was a bad direction obviously yeah, so this this the way the scene plays out they like think he's Richard Burton. He does like a fake R- Richard Burton accent for them for a little bit. Um really one of these guys me. Yeah, one of these guys um Herman played by Michael Pollard um is going to be important uh for a scene that comes later on and this is kind of where he's introduced. So um it's- so Claire comes up to him and I just don't understand why she is so nice to him in these scenes like there's there is no tension between them they act like they just are people who have been friends forever without any of the drama of like the him basically ditching her to promote his show in the past like i don't get it i think it's one of the the absolute weakest things about this movie is this relationship she is extremely weak in this dynamic and it's bad. Yeah. It's a bad, bad and, take. She and I, does I her could... best with what she is given. I will say yeah, that. Of co- well, yeah, it's Karen Allen. She's great. And she's got an amazing delivery coming up later. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. Corella yeah, DeVille. Yeah, totally. We'll talk about it. But it's, she's just a punching bag in this scene. And maybe that's the point leading for what's later. But I don't I... let it, I don't. I, if she's I supposed think to represent she's supposed everything, to come, I think she's supposed to come off as so altruistic that like even his awfulness can't like push her away. I I think that it, he is so terrible though. Like a as a person and b his performance is like pretty shaky in this scene too. That anytime they're like they just Bill Murray and Karen Allen have zero chemistry they are not harrison ford and cares now that is not as yeah yeah it's whatever the exact platonic opposite of that is <laughs> which by the way oh my gosh go back and watch raiders again oh they're so in love it's amazing it's just that scene on the you you know like with the mirror and like they're like oh ooh, it's hot <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's, I'm just tr- no, chemistry. yeah, no, but it's true because they have like really super good chemistry in that movie. And that's I mean, it's Harrison Ford, so it's I feel like it's hard at like Harrison Ford at the height, um, 
most people, I think a brick would have chemistry with him. Yeah, we got to get to a ghost here. So, um, oh, boy. oh he's yes, having we this do. Co- he's having this conversation with Claire and a, cl- a conversation that, I mean, it's been a little bit since we watched this movie in terms of like space to like from watching it to recording. So they're having this conversation, which is pretty like forgettable i honestly don't remember what this conversation is about it's that like unimportant to the plot turkeys aren't being delivered or some well that's so yeah then they're interrupted right so these women come up and are like the a and p isn't delivering turkeys and cross is trying to talk to to claire and she's trying to deal with this situation so that like the homeless people can have turkeys on christmas and he finally drops the line which i kind of feel like this is this movie's surplus population yes right where he's like these people suck, meaning like her volunteers. Um, cut them loose and save yourself. Yep. Scrape right. Scrape them off. Yeah. Scrape them off. That's that's what it is. Thank you. Right. Scrape them off, which is, I will say, as an updated version of the line for the eighties, pretty freaking accurate for the times. Yeah. Pretty good. We don't care about these people. They're not us scrape them off and that's what that's what Reaganomics did um that is what the general attitude of the wealthy of that decade was and this was 87 just before the crash right before the so um yeah this is very much the mindset of the time 86 when this would been made yeah this is exactly where the zeitgeist is it's this is everybody's philosophy we're watching lifestyles of the rich and famous for the first time screw your neighbor get rich doing it absolutely it's actually like it's a really appropriate way to approach this if you're making a modernized christmas carol in the 80s to just like really nail it right in the reaganomics um it it doesn't they don't matter it, they don't matter yeah. from the aids epidemic that was going on at the time in the country to what again Reaganomics was doing to urban culture it was just it was oh yeah more on drugs, them off. like all that crap they don't no one matters besides yourself and yours and it's god dang well um so we we go back to the Scrooge set which is like the 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 set where they're filming this live Christmas Carol show, and the the kind of schmaltzy Hollywood John Glover character is is kind of taking over Frank's role at this point, and Frank is not thrilled with this power grab that's happening as he sends everybody out to lunch, especially because he's a lovable dude. Oh yeah, he's so awesome. Like he's such a great guy. Like yeah. he's just. And he's funny. And when Frank throws it in his face that I'm the one who calls the breaks for lunch. Hey, Frank, you want me to call everybody else back? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the one where he shows his hand just a little bit. Like, right. Like it is a little bit put on that, like calling everyone babe and like, you know, that kind of 80s, 90s Hollywood glad yeah. handing thing. Yeah. He. Um, he yeah. We're going to get into the generation differences in a little bit, but, oh, yeah. Yeah. but this is this is kind of another part of that. This is like the boomers giving in to Gen X. Like, that's right. totally what's yeah, happening like here. John's maybe a little young to be playing, a little old to be playing this type of character, but this is this is uh, Charlie Sheen and, um, oh, wow. Uh, 
Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas in yeah, Wall yeah. Street. Like this is like those generational clashes coming yeah. to a head. 100%. Um, so this gives way to, I think this is my favorite place where the Scrooge and Scrooge-da worlds crossover. I could see Where that. he's left alone in front of the Scrooge and Marley office on the set and all the lights go out because they're like sending everyone out for their union lunch break. And it's just Frank Cross standing in front of the Scrooge and Marley office. And because you can't see the kind of like the lighting and wiring and all of like the the filmmaking artifice going on it's mm. just that and it looks like he's in a christmas carol for a second it's very good use what you got use absolutely what you got they and... do it really intentionally throughout and i think it's one of the strengths of this movie is is that constant crossover back to like classic christmas carol you could do a stage version of this it'd be interesting like set it in a tv studio like kind of like how a certain director did my favorite year a couple years ago, right? Like have it be like actually shot in like a studio setting with people acting like it's a live performance. Yeah, totally. And have like the ghost interact with the performance as it's going on live. Like you would have to change it a little bit, maybe shrink the timeline down a little. Yeah, but you yeah, could get, yeah. you could get there like that. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's yeah. get the rights. Get there the rights. Go. Get the rights to Scrooge. Cut that chat. <laughs> um, so now we, we. I don't know what that means. I don't know I, what. Cut the chat whatever. Means. It's fine. Anthony Mackie, who's Captain America, said it. And I'm like, that's my Captain America. So yeah, I'll say it. Too. There we go. There we go. Um, uh, well, my Captain America is Carol Kane. <laughs> <laughs> Carol Kane is punching Hitler in this scene. And Hitler's being played by Bill Murray. And yeah, it is yeah. glorious. Let's get into this intro, okay? Yeah, so Carol Kane. So there's like a, is it like a disco light kind of thing starts up on the set? Like, like a di- disco like, ghost light? Kind of, right? Yeah. It's like that, that thing where like if you hit a disco ball with, with the spotlight, light, it shoots the little, the little, the little lights ba- everywhere. All right, let's, let's tell the backstory real quick. I was doing a production of Follies about like, oh, 13 years ago, right? And we get to the number <laughs> Mirror, Mirror. And to create a mirror effect that would go across the uh, theater, me and the other spot op had to point our spots at a disco ball, which shot the little disco, you know, lights are all around the uh, uh, theater. My gosh, that was like 13 years ago, John. Maybe 14 at this moment. That's pretty wild. That's some wild, wacky stuff right there, Mr. J. That is pretty bad. I prefer not to think about the fact that we are both in our 30s and we met when we were teenagers. Darn tootin' we were. Like, oh my gosh, we were teenagers. We've known each other in three decades. I'm teaching kids now who are the same age that I was when I met you. I am working with campers, I'm sorry, counselors who were the campers of the campers of the first generation of my campers. Like I'm three generations, four generations into this process. It's insane. (laughs) Jeez. Wild. We're old. We're yeah, old. We, yeah, Can we, we just be cast as the old men in the Muppet Show and just live our lives in peace now? That's basically what we are. Like that's oh oh gosh, what a wonderful retirement that would be! Just oh, to yeah. be making fun of at some of the parks, dressed up as those guys. I don't even know their names. I should. 
some Muppeteer fans are going to be like, you don't know Wilbur and what's his name? Like, like they're going to be mad at me. Statler and Waldorf. See, this is that guy. This is (laughs) that guy. Oh, man. Well, anyway, so, yeah, there's that disco ball thing that happens, and Carol Kane floats down from the ceiling dressed as Glinda the Good Witch. I mean, that's what this costume is, right? I, and I, okay, so let's go through these for a second, okay? What do we get with the Ghost of Christmas past? Didn't we talk, he's like an old-fashioned cab driver. He's like that, right? It's that, like... So what is this representing here? What is the Glinda Goodwitch? Show business? The show business of television? Like, like well, a- th- so if it's television and like film, right? Like, I feel like The Wizard of Oz is like a seminal piece of film, right? Of like fantasy film, right? It is that almost like Christmas Carol-esque in the way it's like she's taken into this fantasy world to like help her deal with things in the real world. I, I had a similar thought with with Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz being played on television is a big deal because when it first happened, oh yeah, it was in, like it was in black Bonanza. and white. It was it was in black and white, and like then over the time, it would be in color, and like you, it evolved. The, your experience of watching Wizard of Oz evolved over the years. Um, I definitely think the showbiz part is there. I definitely agree with that. I think I was just thinking about this the kids show connection. She's mm-hmm. very much like a PBS, like not syndicated kid show that you would find on or either a PBS or a UHF channel. Sure. And side note, she comes flying in. They mask the wires with one of the greatest and best tricks ever. Bubbles. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They use bubbles to mask the wires. You don't see her flying, and it's amazing. It's the same thing they did in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's just a great little practical effect trick. You can't do it all the time because how many situations can you write where someone's going to be floating on bu- with bubbles around, right? Right, right. But Unless it's like wonderful underwater. to see a magic trick work. And she looks as realistically as flying as she can. But there's still the like the way she's flying that lets you know it's fake, which lets you know that it's television. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. They don't they don't work too hard to hide the artifice because like the artifice is kind of part of it. Like Bill Murray's experiencing these things as like television stereotypes. So um and and he's behind the scenes now. So he's seen the magic. So this performance is is great, like truly hysterical, but also really weird. Um, and some some fun facts about this behind the scenes. Carol Kane broke down crying on the set several times because it was really she had a really hard time with the violence of the role. And really? Bill Murray basically just said, hit me full force like every time, including later when she hits him with the toaster, like all of that. She was actually hitting Bill Murray. Um, and it apparently was like really stressful for her. Well, which made he- me sad watching this because it's such like a bubbly flouncy performance. But she, she's like really beating the crap out of him. I will say this. Bill Murray comes from a generation of men who watched the Three Stooges. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's where this happens sometimes with like, no, really lay it in. Like really, yeah, really get, hit me. Really hit me. Cause that's it feels like a weird movie. It feels like a weird movie to go like I'm method for violence. You know what I mean? Well, he, we had mentioned last time that he had just, he'd be coming off of a uh, ghostbusters. 
If I'm not mistaken, yeah, and there he was had a, like some. There was a break between Ghostbusters. There was, and there was a little bit of a flop in between there. So I feel like he was in a raw place. Yeah, like he was like he needed to prove himself, and he and his career was going to go off in a lot of different directions. After and we're this. working with like Richard Donner, like a renowned director too. I think that was part of the appeal, and then it was like a weird experience, right? And it was very. I mean, it's this movie, like we've talked about last time, it's all over the place. And Murray's performance is part of that. But this seems like the type of thing, like, he could have control over it. Sure. He could have control over her kicking the shit out of him. Sure. So, he was like, no, I want it to be something that I'm on board with and I can agree. Like, this character should be beaten up at this point. If I could beat myself up. Because he wanted to beat himself up for that performance. He wanted to beat himself up for, like, going as over the top in the previous scene. Like I, if this I is could, a deep level of psychoanalysis. But if, but if he could have smacked that guy around, he would have. So Carol, swing for the fences. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So she takes him to Grace's house. That was in real time, people. That came to me all in real time. That was amazing. <laughs> I was in the zone. So this this is our Cratchit house scene. Um, they're looking in the window. And it's like Scroogeception because they're watching the Alistair Sim Christmas Carol at this moment. And it's the Tiny Tim. Right. Like Calvin, who is the Tiny Tim in this version, is watching Tiny Tim on the Alistair Sim version on TV. It's awesome. It's 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 great. It's and why did I say on that very first episode, this was the version that a whole generation grew up watching. Mm -hmm. This was this was their Scrooge. And it's the one they show in this movie, which is about the television generation doing their own Scrooge story. And it, it, I didn't remember this part of it. I knew they watched something. I couldn't tell you which version it was, but sure. This is, again, going back with that theory. It makes sense that it would be like Alistair Sim, which is, I think, probably, like, it's got to be in the top five, right? Just in terms of, like, overall popularity. It wasn't in my top five before this. I mean, how many versions have I seen? But I'll tell you what, to paraphrase somebody in the wrestling business, it's gone up without even trying because so many other dumb versions have come along, right? Like, so many bad versions of a Again, Albert is looking great finney is just sitting pretty now like i we gotta go back and review that one like, we gotta... <laughs> do, do do like a redemptive retrospective on scrooge oh, oh, um you totally so <laughs> um so we do find out some things we find out that calvin's father died right his his father was murdered and right. he saw it happen and he hasn't spoken since then. So our tiny Tim, rather than it being like a physical ailment, he's dealing with like PTSD, right? Some trauma and he hasn't spoken. Think about the connection between the shotgun in the car, right? Mm-hmm. Murder. Seen on television. That did kill some... Did we get to that point? Yeah, that was way back. That, that was, was way before, back. I'm just, that, was, just, that was before um, Marley showed up. That's right. Or I after think. Marley showed up. But I don't know. One of the two. But like... It actually did kill someone, right? Yeah. And what he witnessed though was real life. And what is the, what is the is there something trying being said here about that? Like real life, like it, like it matters. Yeah, like, I, yeah I think so. Yeah. I think I think it, yeah, because because you have Cross using murder as like a t- titillation, like. Mm-hmm using that idea of these roving street gangs and the violence of that, of that decade to like 
hook people in and get them interested. Right. Right. Meanwhile, we see this kid who's like facing the very, very real trauma of losing a parent to violence. Like, I don't think it's not intentional. No, no, it's definitely intentional. I just think it's a what it's a wonderful setup here. And I also I also like that they don't draw attention to it, that it's that's kind of left for you to consider. Like Right. It's it's if you really want to start and again, I the script is solid on this. Yeah. A like, lesser script would have had Guy Pierce come in and be like explaining the whole thing in monologue and then and, and then for some and then bobcat's wife shows up at his place and oh yeah 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 no we buried it john we buried it okay? i think it would have been just bobcat right like imagine oh, that ah, imagine, ah, <laughs> right because he'd, he'd come I in and be a like, vi- i didn't have a oh, visual all right mr scrooge I, if this is what you want out of this ah! kind of tight <laughs> That was both a Bobcat impersonation and my response. I didn't have a visual before, John. I didn't have a visual. It was a f- character that we never see. And then you <laughs> threw a visual onto it. And now I got built. Uh, ah, ah. <laughs> never anyway, clean. I'm never anyway. clean. <laughs> Um, so we don't like all, so this scene really just serves. I mean, we've already seen Grace's family. I feel like the scene doesn't really introduce us to anything new necessarily, but it does kind of explain that detail about Calvin. And then we're kind of whooshed away, um, or, you know, drop kicked, I guess, in this situation mm-hmm. to his brother's like beatnik Christmas party that he's having with all his hip young Gen X friends. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, man, they're just going to be sitting around, you know, listening to some uh, Billy Joel and just, you know, having <laughs> a really good time. And it's, you know, and they'll listen to, you know, uh, Goodnight Saigon and like, it'll just be, it'll be great, you know, like. And 20 years from now, they'll be like the world's most boring parents. Oh, God, yeah. Grandparents <laughs> are the worst. Oh, my gosh. You know it. You know it. Like, they are just. Always to the smart device. Always. <laughs> anyway. Um, Cut that part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Cut that part. <laughs> there's this, uh, you know, mix up with the Christmas gift. So I know we had earlier established that Bill Murray was going to give his brother like a towel instead of a VCR because those were his two Christmas gift options. Because he's but, a scumbag. Yeah, he's scummy. But his uh, and and doesn't feel like his brother adds value to his life because that's kind of his thing, right? It's like he was basing the gifts on people's Nielsen ratings. Like, was their show doing well? Were they being well-reviewed? Were, like, people watching? If that, if so, they get a VCR. So his... And I don't think his brother works f- there at the station, right? No, it's his opinion of his brother that he's thinking of at right. that moment. He right. thinks his brother's a dunce because his yeah. brother's a... It's at Christmas, his brother, in his mind, is his worst self because he's a dreamer and a hoper. Not right. a realist like Mr. Cross. Right. So, um, you know, Bill Murray sees that uh, he got a VCR instead of a towel and, you know, he's like, I'm going to fire Grace and blah, 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 blah. Um, they do the party game here. It's charades, which I thought was like a clever because that definitely like 100% would have been what the party game would be in in the late 80s, early 90s. Charades? Sure. I've seen Frasier. (laughs) It's Trivial Pursuit. (laughs) Weren't they? Well, no, they don't they also play charades. Am I making this up? Why did I write charades down? Okay, so here's what we're going to do, friends. We're flying here, so I am 
95% No, you're totally positive. right that it's Trivial Pursuit because the, it's like it's the question because about Gilligan's Island. Right, and how do you how do you do SSS? Never mind. I, mean, I just wrote down and, the note charades and didn't even think about it. I probably even meant Trivial Pursuit at the time. Whatever. No, this is all gold, John. And and also and folks, Trivial Pursuit would have also been very late '80s, early '90s. Oh God, yeah, because it's the television yeah. generation. They grew up with so much information being thrown in their face, and that's the thing that they're like. And they had game shows, mm-hmm. so they want. I mean, look, board games have been around. I'm sure. I'm sure there had been some trivia game before in the past. The Trivial Pursuit's like, like the granddaddy of all that. Like it's a reference everyone would right. get. Right. Um. So yeah, and so like Bill Murray's like, I know the it's the SS Minnow. What are you doing? Because they like the question his brother can't answer is, uh, uh. Is you know what is what is the name of the ship from Gilligan's Island or whatever? But I want to you know move past that because the scene is pretty quick. Uh, my absolute favorite line in this entire movie comes up next because mm-hmm. Carol Kane like drop kicks him down some stairs and then he ends up in a sewer and she is gone. And his line is, "Where what what is this place? Trump Tower?" Which is such a funny yeah. line in the late eighties. So good, like God. It's, what, it's like a it's, that's like a line that ages like uh, a fine Bordeaux, just chef's kiss. Yep, and it's appropriate. It's always going to be who timely would, now. Who would have thought this, that that joke would get a hundred times funnier with just forty years to, or I guess thirty-two years to percolate? Yeah, I mean, I. You know, it it's 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 two things. It's one thing is it makes the joke now timeless. That yeah. we will never forget that president. Well, um not to bring the party down, but Herman's dead, uh the homeless guy that we mentioned before. In what is so, I would say in a a a sequence that has been pretty funny and a little bit difficult to watch because it's literally Carol Kane just beating the crap out of Bill Murray as you're trying to focus on things. And then he's alone in this sewer and this guy is sitting up frozen to death, his eyes open. It's very upsetting. He's in the sewer dealing with something that he could have changed. He's got to deal with his shit. (laughs) He is, he, he, he's in, I mean, right? Like, that's what we're doing here, right? We're talking about, like, and we're putting him in the word. Like, this is hell. This is hell. And it is on Earth. Interesting that this is not this a, is, it's, I think it's really interesting that it's not a Christmas future vision. This is explicitly no, this part is of the, Christmas present because it's something he can do right now. This is I feel like this whole sequence is happening actually in real time. Um, no, because it's Christmas. So she goes back Christmas night, and like they all just went to lunch before Carol Kane shows up. No, 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 no. So with a little bit of flexibility here, but you got to go with me on this, okay? So where do we start off? We start off with the Cratchit family, yeah, right? Yeah, we're there, 
And that is when she's on, and she mentions this, she's on break in between the rehearsal. They had a break for food. And then she's heading back to the studio that night. So that's happening there. Then, remember, this is all Christmas Eve present. This is not Christmas Day. Right. So that's, that's a big distinguishment between the other versions. So then we go to... We go to his brother's house, which is having a dinner and a meal before the live broadcast. And we know the live broadcast is coming later because, spoilers, when we see him watching it, the VCR is underneath the TV. Oh, you are right. And then this is also happening within relative real time of this. So that when he comes out of it, he's already dead. And we'll know that he's dead later on. This is not changeable. This is what has happened. This is happening currently and have wow. and could, it could have been prevented. Yeah. In a 1986 America. But we created hell on earth and that's where this poor bastard died. Wow. Wow, Jimmy. You thought you weren't going to remember this. Look. I'm throwing yeah. rocks tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing but net. Well, <laughs> So you went from bowling to basketball. If what, yeah. You know, I, I'm not a sports dude, so I just mix all of those metaphors. Um, hey, it, well, it's got to be. Speaking it's of sports metaphors, we actually have to take a seventh inning stretch and pay our clerks. So uh, we're going to go to a quick ad break right here. And when we come back, we will uh, round these bases and bring it home. If I stopped you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself who you was, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me or you if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Cheers hmm? only one cigar, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking men's pocket every 25th of December. We are back. So baseball is a game played <laughs> uh-huh, in a park, uh-huh. John, okay, where a bunch of guys get dressed up in uniforms, including the guy who helps run the team, but isn't the only guy that runs the team, but he gets dressed up in a uniform, but he's not going to play. They don't do that in football. I kind of <laughs> wish they did it in football, too. <laughs> For the sake of argument, okay, here, here, I'm going to betray my like complete. I'm so I live in Philadelphia, and my my point of reference is going to be Andy Reid. <laughs> oh God! I mean, that's about three I coaches know, back I know, at least, right? Well, we don't have Peterson anymore, do we? No, Doug, Doug, Doug did a dumb oh. thing. I wasn't even watching that day, but I heard it. I heard it from the echoes of the stadium. I was like, you did man, that? Come on, man. <laughs> you dumbass. What a fall from grace. <laughs> he was on he was he was on the ways out. He was on the ways out. And he hey, got us a Super Bowl. Nick Foles. Carson Wentz, I still have his jersey. I'm always gonna wear it with pride because if it wasn't for that guy we got there. And look, I'm a central Jersey Phillies fan, so I know. I know. I get it. I'm aware of it. I'm trying to help. It's not going well. Please be kind. 
<laughs> that's well luckily most of our audience probably is just people we know so everyone will get all of those references oh they're yeah. all eagles fans and they're all gonna yeah, come yeah, after yeah. me and hate me now so don't play into the stereotype people <laughs> come on now uh, yeah <laughs> just because we threw snowballs at santa one time one time you throw snowballs at santa you're marked for life <laughs> i i it's a point of pride um I was going to say, if they oh, put gosh. Andy Reid in Eagles uniform, um, <laughs> they would they would just try to, they, they would, would try to ticket, <laughs> they would try to ticket him when he came in. Oh, are you talking about with like the shoulder pads? It would just be like his little, I'm talking about with shoulder pads and everything. It would he would just look be like his Ram little bristly mustache Masters sticking of- out over the collar. Anyway, <laughs> this is not a, this is, let's bash out Andy <laughs> Reid some more. Most winning coach in Eagles history. I, yeah, I think he still owns that record. And, Never got the Super Bowl, but almost got there. Like four times, got there once. Go, Andy yeah. Reid. Welcome to this podcast. Welcome, Welcome back. back. Welcome back. Well, um, so after after Herman freezes to death in in the sewer, and we didn't talk about this before the ad break, but I think it's interesting that like in this moment, Bill Murray's like, "Why didn't you go to Claire? Like she could have helped you." And his reaction is not one of like sorrow, at least outwardly. He's angry at Herman. Like he's trying to blame Herman for making this bad decision that he knows is kind of like something he could have done something about. Well, it's yeah. twofold. It's twofold. It's not, it's clearly what you're saying there, but he's also saying it to himself. Yeah. I think this I think this he's is Bill Murray's I, I want to say this I'm going to say it, this is his best scene in this movie. Disagree, yeah, but this okay. is I, at least I'll, so I'll say this is my favorite scene in the movie because I think it's the one moment It's good. Yeah. It's 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 top 5, yeah. no doubt, top 5, no doubt, but it is it is his most intense and well no no I, there's still something else here's the thing about here's the thing intense. about it though it's a really good scene and he really lets it go and like really kind of gets unhinged and if he had been more restrained in the rest of the movie it would have hit way harder than it does it already hits pretty hard because it's filmed really mm-hmm. well you get these like close-ups on herman's like dead frozen face with this kind of like passive look that is really chilling as Bill Murray's yelling at him. But I just, I feel like they, they kind of like shot their load early on and then they're like, okay, well now what do we do? We have turned by this point though, in the movie into, um, I guess the victory road, because with few exceptions, everything is pretty much gold from here on out. Like as soon as we get to Carol, we are, Go for gold because it's all great stuff. Maybe again, a few things here and there that haven't aged perfectly, a few insensitive jokes here and there. Hey, yeah, it happens yeah, to the best yeah, of art the from 80s. the past, yeah. right? It's it's the freaking eighties. So like we, but those things aside, it this is all solid effort from from especially this is where it like goes into next gear. Um. Yeah. So. He flashes back to the Scrooge set. He's looking much more disheveled. He kind of like runs onto the set, right? And he he runs towards the elevator because he's trying to go up to his office. And the doors open and the ghost of Christmas future is there, like classic skull face, the, the works, glowing red eyes. And he like panics, but it's not the real ghost of Christmas future. It's like a fake out. It's actually the actor in the show. 
and he and and he commits to it like he's like this is it like I'm down yeah. to go and it's it's a it's a great joke it's a solid it's an earned joke too it has the whole movie they have flirted with the fact that they are on the set of a Christmas Carol yeah you know they have they've done little bits here and there that have connected with it obvious ones but like this is the the this is the earned big right. joke of that. Which is a two prong attack, and it's coming back a little bit later on. We'll get to that. It's awesome. It's well done here, and I really I like it. when when he like the ghost kind of moves away. Like I feel like the does does Bryce Cummings does the John Glover character call the guy away, like because Bill Murray's freaking out. He's like he's like oh god, like I want him to break, but I don't want him to break that much that it destroys right, the right. show. And like he's gonna scare this guy before he's got to go on TV. Jim Henson, get over here, okay? We're paying you by the hour, all right? <laughs> so I love. It could have been. It, I mean, I don't know. I I didn't look up which uh, who were doing the puppeteering work on this, but this could have been Henson's work here. Uh, yeah, I guess it's possible. It doesn't really do much. No, well, no, this yeah, one, the thing later but... on. So there's a really funny line before Bill Murray gets on the elevator where he's like, "That guy's great. He's gonna be a big star." <laughs> he's like, yep. "He did a really great job." So he goes back up to his office, and the broadcast is starting. They're like, they're actually doing the show, and he pours himself a drink, and he opens the Christmas gift that his brother sent him, and inside it is a picture frame with a picture of the two of them as kids, which is like a really touching, nice moment kind of calling back to them which we knew which we knew was coming because in the previous scene carol king covers up bill murray's uh oh yeah, ears yeah. And, and it's like and like won't let him know the uh the present right and we we know that and then he gives a little speech about his brother and like you know the same speech we kind of got earlier on from uh ghost of girlfriend's past right we get that rah rah yeah. brother scene and that's when he says he can keep the VHS player, you know, whatever, you know, uh, I can write it off on my taxes because he's a right, scumbag right. still. Um, but when he opens the present, that's the first time that something that wasn't supernatural yeah. breaks him. Everything else has been vision or something that has been manipulated by the spirits. That was an act on this earth. That was the brother made this wooden frame. And gave this picture of the two of them to his brother. And he breaks at that point. Like, he starts... He's getting drunk. Like, he is out of it. And he has a full-on breakdown yeah. right at that Yeah, heat. it's really good. Um, so, meanwhile, there's that wall of TVs behind him, right? From, from the opening oh. scene. And this is the, the first time I ever saw this movie. I caught it on TV, like on TBS or something around Christmas time. And it was this scene. And I was like, oh, this is what Scrooge mm-hmm. oh. is. This is a lot because the scene is playing like this kind of non-traditional version of the scene where um, Scrooge is going to be met by the ghost of Christmas future. And the actor on the screen is like, it's the thing that all men fear. So like they really, really tell you it's death right up front. And Hackett is doing his best, like, uh, and you know where Scrooge in the novella in this live performance is right now, too, because it's like, I have, you know, you've taught me these lessons and I'm going to change, but now here comes, drop the hammer down, here's the future. And it's, 
What's happening on screen, though, is we're seeing the live broadcast, right, on all these different yeah. monitors. So there's like, what is it, a 4x4 four four is what we think it is, or a 5x5? Yeah, five something five? Like Some sort of grid like that. And each individual TV is just the individual broadcast. Then, panning into the shot that spreads as if it's one image across all the monitors is the ghost of Christmas well, and what's interesting, right? So I feel like there's three versions of this because there's the version he runs into in the elevator, which is obviously a cheap costume. Mm-hmm. And then there's this version, which looks like that cheap costume, but like much better designed. It's like a, it's the, it's the same thing you can tell, but it's designed to look more realistic, more terrifying, more malignant, right? And then this big right. arm like reaches out of the bank of TVs towards Bill Murray, like huge arm that could like grab him and pick him up. And creepy as hell as yeah, a child. It's scary. Oh my God. It is terrifying. And he doesn't know this. I like would he's hide. not seeing it because he's focused on this thing. His brother's. Um, he's yeah. out of it, man. He is. He's. He has come to the realization that what his life is and what it does to people. And like any Scrooge at that moment, when getting the news about Tiny Tim or seeing the plight of the, at the world and seeing what Christmas can do to people and what he has done to people, right? He's just on the break. And then just when we're about to begin our Ghost of Christmas future sequence, when the ghost is reaching out, something changes. Yeah, so, uh... Bobcat Goldthwait goes postal. <laughs> Cratchit's got a gun. Cratchit's got a gun. So, so he busts in. Does he say, "Honey, I'm home"? I'm pretty sure he does. I, I he said, uh, "Does he say Merry?" No, Christmas? I think he says, "Honey, I'm home." It's either that or "Here's Johnny," but I'm pretty sure it's "Honey, I'm home." No, he doesn't say, "Here's Johnny." He he does look. Yeah, Horrible. he's really disheveled. <laughs> he's clearly drunk. He's got a shotgun, and he's coming in he's to kill Cross. And he's had one I bad day. Freaking one bad day. He's the Joker. <laughs> he is the Joker. And look, we saw how timid Bobcat was in the first scene. You know how much this man's been bottling up inside. How much backed up aggression this guy's been wanting to let loose. And what is he wielding? What is he wielding in his hands, John? A shotgun. The thing he wanted cut out of the commercial. Jimmy. He's got God, the sh- that's beautiful. He's got He's got the shotgun in his hand. He's been driven to the thing he was protesting against and he's a bad or great shot depending on how you want sure. to interpret it. And he's just shooting for the fences here and Murray who, again, was this close to having a full-on either epiphany or a breakdown or something over that photo and was going to be taken to the future, right? Not happening! <sighs> well, um, Bill Murray dives into an elevator uh, to to escape. After, after Bobcat starts singing uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town in the most terrifying manner ever, and it's, yeah, it's glorious. Really it's... I want him to play a supervillain in the worst way. He's a, he is right now. At this moment, he is a full-on supervillain yeah. in this movie. And it's amazing. Yeah, he'd, be, he'd actually, he'd be a good Doc Ock. I mean, I know they're just bringing Alfred Molina back. 
He'd be great in anything. Bobcat is a true artist. Uh, if you ever look into his work, he does a lot of documentary stuff. Like this guy, he is a, a real, real, the real deal. And when he commits to a project, he's all in, and he is all yeah, in on this. Yeah, performance. I would, I would say that he is, he is nailing it in every scene in a way that Bill Murray is not. No, his batting average is stellar. Yeah. He's having an MVP yeah. season. Like he is just on fire this movie i think the only person that could maybe rival him for consistency would be uh bill murray's assistant uh the the crowd alfrey woodard like the grace cooley yeah yeah yes like they are performance is much more subdued than pop cats obviously so the the real ghost of christmas future is here and it's not the ghost that he saw downstairs and it's not the ghost that he saw on the tv screen it's similar. It's got like the robe, right? The tattered robe and stuff, which looks very cool. But its face is a is like a broken TV screen, like a CRT monitor, which is very good. Great. Very good choice um, on many different levels. Yeah. Like we've had real people up to this point. Are we becoming television? Yeah, obviously. Like that's there. It's that. Just, of course, what it represents for this generation and for Bill Murray's character of their generation, right, as we've been going over. And on top of that, it's just an amazing yeah. visual. And how to get away with... It's a with, very cool take. We're just, it's probably the coolest like, one we've we, seen. Yeah. It might, and it might be the coolest one by the end of this, honestly. I, I mean, yeah. there might be one that could take it down, but it's it's... It's the closest to what Dickens intended with a sure. modern twist. Um, and we haven't even talked about like, what's going on under the robe. Because at first, Bill Murray thinks this is the guy from downstairs, right? And he's like, what What are you doing right. here? You should be at the broadcast. And then he looks under the robe. And there's like like these little kind of labyrinth-esque howling souls underneath. It's beautiful. And... Bill Murray has to do a double take, which is great. We don't see it again because we don't need to see it again. We just hear yeah. the sound effects. It is, the, the double take is very is, funny. And I'm glad that we don't see it. It's which just is all Bill Murray. It. <laughs> I've been crapping on Bill Murray from earlier scenes. Gotta give the man his due. That's a great, like, paced comedic moment there. Like, like this, the double take is amazing. So in oh. tradition with a lot of our Ghosts of Christmas future, this moves at a pretty brisk clip. I feel like we rarely get a Ghost of Christmas future that's not like... 10 minutes max. But here's the thing that's going on with this version. He's changing the Mm -hmm. channels. Yeah. 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 He's changing the channels quickly because he's got no time for this BS. He's got to keep changing channels. And the the elevator of a television studio is the clicker of Bill Murray's future. And it is amazing to see that because like, you know, the old saying, which has become true with like TikTok and things like that sitcoms are going to be like 30 seconds in the future in a way they kind of are now with all these you know different types of platforms so like this is the future of entertainment no time no fat no subtlety this future is it's it's very like yeah it's like right hyper realized camp on adrenaline like the like this is some of this is distant future 20 30 years maybe but some of it is like five years and we get this very weird interpretation of the future very different art style like this is where the burton comes to play like this this is very so uh the first thing we see 
is Calvin, right? Our tiny Tim, and he's in a mental ward, right? He's which which feels extreme for a kid dealing with PTSD, <laughs> but I guess it's an extreme well, idea. We, I hate to say this, but we don't know the rest sure. of the story there. We don't know what either kids at school did to him or how he was something else right. could have happened. Right. And just, he was in a situation where he didn't know how to react. Like I, I don't want to make assumptions, but we don't know the story. We just yeah. know the result. Yeah. And the result is that this poor kid is now in this institution and kind of like in the guy Pierce version after his mom leaves and he's in that padded room by himself, which is, horrifying yeah, it's really it's me. really rough just, and like and like jimmy said it's, it's just like hyper stylized so it's not like a realistic depiction it's very like stark and creepy this and like ba- dutch angly batman returns i was just gonna say this this whole sequence feels like if tim burton had kept making batman movies this is what they would have ended up looking like like how in batman forever they went to arkham mm-hmm. right for like the ending of the movie and originally it was in the beginning of the movie with two-face escaping this is kind of what like that arkham looks like yeah. a little yeah. bit maybe not as extreme with like the neon coloring um but going back to the little boy our tiny tim not so much. He's a right. teenager here and he's he's upset and he's mad. And he's upset about his life where he's at. And like in the Guy Pierce version, he can see yeah. Bill Murray. He can see him and he's yeah. mad. And he's and he stares Murray down. And Murray's like, Okay. Yeah. All right. And it's a good turn. He's like, All right, like I'm like, no, no, no. That's yeah, not yeah. he's happening. like, I know I know people at, at uh at what does he say like nyu or something like that he's like oh, we can fix this like yeah. well, it builds though it builds like he's like okay no no i got this like i got this guy at the hospital he's gonna put him together i've been working i've known him for years he owes me a favor i got him out of jail for coke one time don't worry about it. look i'm yeah, on yeah, this he's got it I, I and like and when he builds like like uh, i'm all, i'm all over this or i'm on top of this it's like that's when you know he really like i have to fix this now and like oh yeah so, so then we get um, you know, another channel change and it's Claire who has become Corella DeVille. <laughs> like you said, I mean, that's what it is. Penguin's mom. Glenn Close in the 95, 96 movies. Watch the F out. Oh my God. <laughs> she's amazing here with her little posse of like, yeah. So you she's, know, so she's circle. Like sitting. It's, it's weird, horrible. right? Cause she's in these like, kind of like, anachronistic aristocrat clothes and she's ladies yeah and she's sitting with these other like upper classy women in like some kind of a weird gazebo it's not super clear if it's outdoors or indoors this is a really hard visual aesthetic to describe like you have to kind of see it's it. it's yeah. abstract it's it's abstract because what it's doing is it's breaking down the future past what you would like put it as some actual time yeah. period right it's the bare minimum to get across what has changed in the future? In this future, she has gone from being a saint to being yeah. a sinner. She has taken Lumpy's yeah, yeah, look scrape on them life off. Yeah. to heart, scrape them off, she says in a second there. Because we see some... Okay, maybe the funniest visual of the movie, which is unintentionally funny. But it's really funny because they are not anachronistic at all. 
they're dicks they're like they're straight out of the novella street yeah. urchins yeah. banging on the glass of this gazebo of this gazebo this glass and she says get rid of them to the waiter and then they're like come on they're just children it's christmas don't talk to me i spent years on these little brats scrape yeah. them off yeah they're like newsies or something um <laughs> so <laughs> christian bale was in this um <laughs> so you've been old so we get time. that and then bill murray's like no okay i'll talk to her like we'll figure this out that's not like whatever and then we of course no 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 no. it's a much more solid line than that though he turns to the ghost he says it directly to the ghost he goes that was a rotten thing to yeah. say like he's like i'm rotten and i said that and that was wrong and i'm t- taking complete ownership yeah. of it yeah 100 percent um and then we then we're at his Damn. funeral Right, so the casket's there. There's like a little fire behind it because they're going to cremate his body. His brother and his brother's wife are there. And at first, it's just his brother's wife, right? Who we saw before, and he thinks thinks that his brother is going to die. And I think that's because he wouldn't expect her at his funeral. Right, right. Oh, I'm seeing her? Oh, yeah. that means well, and he doesn't see his brother, she right? Be a- he, like the brother walks in with the priests. Yeah, it's it's a two prong yeah. indication. Like he, that's what he jumps to, and he's like, "Okay, I've got him." And he immediately starts to be like. I need to make amends with my brother. I got to, as soon as I get back, I, you know, I got to talk to him. I got to, why'd this have to happen? Oh, there he is, James. And he starts cheering out to James as James walks into yeah. the casket. Um, so this, Ooh. this, I mean, we've seen several versions now of like, not just Scrooge at the grave, but like Scrooge in peril,ed like thrown into the grave or falling into hell or whatever. And I feel like this one is the most terrifying version we've seen because, I mean, even more than the Disney one with him like trying to climb out of the the portal to hell in the children's movie, like the eight and up Disney version. We all right, so let's yeah, go through because yeah, I think that's it. the only way to really do it justice. He sees his brother's J- brother's James. He's like, so wait a minute. Whose casket is that? Why are they here? And he goes up to it, and he sees his name on it. Right. Right? And he goes, so what is this point? That I'm dead? Why would you show me this if I'm dead? Well, I can't do anything if I'm dead. And they start to wheel it in to hell, yeah, basically. I mean, in, in, in They're the about to cremate fire. him. Yeah. And it is, and he's trying to drag it away and stop it. And as he's doing so, we jump cut immediately inside of the casket, right? right? Inside of it. And he's in there kicking and flailing, trying to escape as the flames engulf the casket and start nipping at Bill Murray's actual legs. It's really intense. it, and it's cut after cut after cut, and you, you don't have a second to breathe, and it just keeps going and going and going until eventually, as it happens with all scenes, he yeah. does escape. Yeah. So he, he escapes. Um, he wakes up in the elevator, right? And the elevator doors open, and he's like, like super excited, and he's alive, and it's a wonderful day. And then <laughs> Elliot Loudermilk is pointing uh, a shotgun into his nose. 
it's a pretty because he's banging against the elevator doors like the right. coffin, right? So like he bursts through like that, yeah. like a superhero. And it's a wonderful Christmas morning. I mean, it's Christmas sure. Eve here, but like it's a wonderful like Scrooge moment that is immediately sh- cut off by a shotgun to the face. And but Cross is so changed that he has no fear of it and just immediately strives to yeah, start making yeah. men's. So he he like awesome. takes the gun. Gives him, um, uh, rehires him, gives him twice his salary and a promotion. Um, blows bubbles on his he tummy. He blow bubbles on his tummy. <laughs> That's his new thing. He's just going to yeah. be doing it to everybody. So, uh, hope we're all cool with that because, uh, that guy's yeah, going to be doing it. Yeah, it. it was a little uncomfortable. But it, it's like. <laughs> I mean, the intention, it was a, it, it, I, it, the intention is that he's it, just going to yeah, be a yeah. goof. Uncomfortable and that is, from that's a nice. 2021 perspective. Like, let, let me point it out that oh, way. I watch it now and I'm like, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, that, no. wouldn't have, that would not fly if this movie was released today. That would be too much. 20 minutes later. Yeah. Um, so. so he is going nuts in this elevator hallway, right? And he grabs Bobcat by the arms and they're spinning around and they're spinning around. And he's like, he's like, I'm going to raise your salary. I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. You're good. You had a new office. You like my office? No, I don't. <laughs> um, and it's it's good stuff. It's good materials. And then he throws him in the elevator, takes the shotgun, and says, "We're gonna have some fun." Yeah. Kind of got nervous there yeah, for a minute. Yeah. So basically, he enlists him to like uh, take over the control booth of this TV station at gunpoint. Yeah, that has not. Yeah, no, no, no. A bunch of the stuff coming up here hasn't. So he basically what happens and I don't have a ton of notes on this because it's just all it's there's a lot that goes on here, but it's mostly just Bill Murray monologuing. Um, Bill Murray interrupts the the conclusion of the Scrooge thing. And it's funny because like as they've done many times bill murray is having this like his kind of reborn moment and then you see buddy hackett do the like it's christmas morning thing out the window um so there's like that mirroring going on and the way and and buddy is up in the window for the what day is it scene and he flicks down the coin and they've got this intentionally no pun intended here money shot of money Right. Right? Like, they are just glorifying money in this shot, this coin. It's not that, look at the money! And as the money comes down and is going to enter the kid on the street's hand, Bill Murray snatches it out of the air and says, stop looking at that with that action. And this is the 80s. Greed is good. We were just glorifying yeah. money. Stop. I'm about to try to tell you something. <laughs> so what he ends up doing is he's got he's got Bobcat Goldthwait holding everyone hostage and telling them where to point the cameras. Um he's got he's got the new hotshot LA producer tied up in there. Um which is a funny line is uh He's nuts. He's screwed, you know, and then Bobcat bursts in. It's he's finished or yeah. something like that. And then he's tied up and then Murray, uh, the phone rings and it's the head of the network 
who wanted to have more animals and television programming so that pets would watch TV because you gotta have mice in a Christmas carol. How can you have a Christmas carol with that? That's the Robert Mitchum character. Right. And so he's calling to get him pulled off the air, but Bobcat's holding the whole thing together. He makes a gay joke. It's lame. It's he makes one about the new producer being attracted to the head of the network, and what's the actor's name who uh, played John? Which the the Hollywood guy? Yeah, John Glover. Yeah, John Glover. Yeah, I just want to get that right. John Glover is gay, so like for him to have to sit through that and like have that like I that that sucks knowing that and like knowing that that probably had to suck for him. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe he thought it was funny. People are it is a different time. People took sure. jokes differently, but I think it, it probably wasn't. I yeah, don't it's, feel it's, comfortable. It's knowing one of that. like a number of things that kind of ages poorly here. So then there's the there's this moment where Bill Murray like he's kind of extolling the virtues of like grabbing your life and and like living it and being with people, and then he like kind of sort of forces a kiss on one of these like skimpily clad dancers. Well, backing up to that moment, because there's a lot to unpack here, friends. What he's doing is he's calling out how crappy it is to do a live production of Scrooge on television on Christmas Eve. Like, this isn't December 17th, December 20th, 23rd even. This is Christmas Eve. And he's been banking on people watching TV on Christmas Eve. It's like the whole whole network is banking on it. What type of scumbag would do this. And one of the cameramen, which I'm sure Bill Murray must have felt that this is what the cameramen from Saturday Night Live wanted to say to him. Like, only you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, like, he wants to punch him, but like he can't because he's got to be like, you know, he, he's, he's, he's feeling it right now. He's feeling the spirit. And he's just like, he's building up the holiday and he's just getting everybody in the spirit kind of randomly. And then he eyes her or she eyes him and he then plays up the mistletoe thing and it's lame. Um, and he says that was good, but it could have been great. And that leads into him talking to the camera. To someone. Yeah. Talking. So he, he talks to Claire on the camera. He talks about his brother and he like shows a picture of his brother. Um, you know, and and he's slowly kind of winning over like all the people that are watching that thought he was nuts because what he says is really like heartfelt. Um, well, Claire hears his plea like it's not too yeah. late, right? And it's not just that it's not too late at night; it's not too yeah. late in life. Yeah, Turn not too late for us, clearly, right? And she rushes outside and gets a ride with the ghost of Christmas Past in oh, the taxi, yeah. and she's. Can you get me to the blah, blah, blah station? I think it's IBC or whatever it is. And he goes, which floor? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which is great. Um, and Bill Murray is talking about the holiday. And what's really happening here, John, is a boomer's plea for his generation's humanity. Yeah. It's where are we at? We're all different ages, maybe, but we're all kind of, we're all the same generation. 
and we all have these jobs. We all have, we're someplace different from where we said we were going to be. And we're the generation that watched television and we're, we've sold out, you know, and he's pleading with his generation to find the best of humanity that the holidays, we were led to believe something as a generation and we were lied to. At least that's how we believed it, right? We received it. You know, they grew up in the 50s and 60s. Then Kennedy gets killed. And then Vietnam and Nixon. Everything's a lie. Scrape them off. And they're living in the generation of greed. And he says, no, the holidays aren't fake. They're not, a, it's not a fraud. It, it's not just one day a year. If you commit to it and you hold it in your heart, You'll get greedy for it. And he, he, what he's talking about is you'll get greedy on, on that feeling, that, un, that undescribable feeling of joy from doing a good deed, you know, for purely the right reasons. That is, that is there, and it's a great feeling, and you'll get greedy for it, and you'll do it, and you'll do – you'll make a sandwich. You'll help out a friend who's in need. You'll talk to people who are alone. You'll do it. I'm basically yeah, doing Yeah, it's very close, actually. And – and he's and and it's a, and he's like and it'll and it'll, and it's a great feeling and he's crying when he's describing how he's feeling and he hasn't felt this way in a long time and I would say almost never except for the few moments he had with Claire and maybe with his sure. brother James and yeah. his mom and he's now connected back with those memories and those people and he talks to his brother going back a second he admits to his brother. That uh, he wouldn't give him the the towel. He was going to give him the towel, yeah. not the VHS player. He he kind of like he 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 shows his ass that he's the worst beforehand, and now he's like, see, I'm admitting this on global television that I'm an asshole. We as a generation need to admit that we were kind of assholes, and we need to do something about it and change our life around. And that's why I think it connects with a lot of people of a lot of different generations. Wow. Um, yeah. And then Calvin, who is there watching the broadcast, comes up and says, God bless us, everyone. The first time he's spoken in five years. Well, he first comes up and he like, like does like a little tug on Bill Murray's uh, coat after Claire yeah. comes in and they, they kiss on... Claire, the whole world, whole world, Claire. Yeah. Great joke. Um, and Tiny Tim comes in, Calvin, and he tugs on a- and Bill Murray's jacket. And he's wearing one of the dancers' yeah. hats, which has the mistletoe right, right, right. on it, which is kind of cute for the Claire kiss. And he go, he, he looks down and goes, something I forgot, little man? And then he just says, in the tiniest of voices, but so innocent and pure. God bless us, everyone. And it's more like, God bless us, everyone. And Bill Murray picks him up. He picks up Tiny Tim. He does something that most of these Scrooges yeah. don't do. And he just kind of gives him this hug. And mom's right there, so it's not awkward. And it's this beautiful tableau, this wonderful visual. And I'm just, yes! Yeah. It was wonderful Yeah, it finale. ends on a really good note. And then, like, Bill Murray does, like, a... Like a uh well everyone starts yeah singing. what are they saying it's it's put a little love in your heart put a little love in your heart yeah, yeah. and the world 
will be a better place. And everyone's singing, and the world will be a better place. The people in the control room are singing. The censor is singing as she molests uh, John Glover. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The freaking ghosts on the side are all singing. Even um, the guy that was homeless that died in the sewer hell. He's there now, and he's an angel because he died, but he's being taken care of. Freaking uh, the old television executive. I don't know if he got his wings, but he's going to make the 18th hole. All right? There's nine. There's yeah, 18 is great. 19 holes too many. And so refer back to my lack of sports knowledge. But like everybody's singing it and everybody's feeling it. And then Bill Murray slowly pans in onto the camera and he starts waving to it and goes, "Feed me, Seymour, (laughs) feed me." And it's so wonderful. He like Ferris Bueller's it, where he's just like breaking character and just talking to the audience in the theater directly. And it's 87 that this comes out. It's 86 when they were probably filming it. So that means that he had little shop was only like a year old from production. So it was in his brain. He had just done the dentist scene from that side note. If you haven't seen little God, shop, I forgot Horrors, he was stop in that. listening. Oh, he's got the one, of the best cameos ever. He's doing the Jack Nicholson part from right. the original movie. The, the, the weird yeah. patient. And it's maybe the most Bill Murray thing ever. It's like all range. Like if you do like silly off the walls, Bill Murray, that's the best version of Bill Murray in that scene. If if you like just weird subversive Bill Murray, that's yeah, in there yeah, too. Totally. But this this little feed me Seymour line, feed me, is amazing. And and then he just kind of does this like little improv game with the audience that is not there watching this movie anymore, but in theaters would have been watching. He's like, let's hear everybody singing, you know? And it's kind of, there's some jokes in there. Like, you know, let's have all the men sing. Oh, the real <laughs> yeah, men, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And like, that doesn't age well, but he does this. He's holding court still. And then we cut to James, uh, his brother. And he goes, there's my brother, the King of Christmas. And then we fade to black with another like really cool like 80s Christmas song or something sure. that sounds like it. Sure. Um, it might have been Put a Little Love in Your Heart, but just a different sure. recording. It might have been, it yeah. Good. It's a great it's And great that finale. is uh, Scrooged. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say this is a silly thing to say, but this is really the tale of two movies. Especially in my well, life. Do you want to do you want to say this here? I, or do you want to say it during your your uh, future or past? Let's yeah. say it for future. Well, in that case, Jim, I have some questions for you. What yeah. is going to get your Christmas turkey for this movie? That's a tough, tough call. I mean, I could make a list here of things that you won't name, or because you'll name something else. There's so many options, sure. right? Like. So I don't want to step on something, but I could go through a lot of different things here. But I think, God, so tough. Um, I've got to go with the Ghost of Christmas Future. Yeah, it's the most solid sequence of Mm -hmm. the movie. It's besides maybe the speech at the end. It's his best performance in the movie. You really get that he wants to change in that moment. You get everything that the novella is trying to say in that sequence is communicated here. And that includes the office scene. That includes the shotgun chase. 
Like that whole little sequence there is amazing. And, and that for everything it does and the pacing of it too, like it is quick, but it does, it, everything lands. Yeah. Like everything just has enough time to breathe. And again, going back to how I used to watch this on network television, this was a solid commercial to commercial chunk of the movie, right? Like this was like, you're going to watch this whole scene, commercial break, go, go to the bathroom. Maybe you'll see the rest of the movie. Maybe you won't. This was, and, and I think that's a part of the reason why my brain, like this is my favorite thing of the movie. It's what I remember the most. It's visually interesting. And again, Bill Murray, solid yeah. performance. John, what gets your Christmas? Uh, so my Christmas turkey, I've already kind of teased it, um, but it is going to, it's that scene in the sewer, in the sewer where he finds, oh. where he finds the body. So I, I like it for a couple of reasons, but the biggest one is it does this thing that I really, really love anytime I see performance of any kind where the things an actor is doing and, and the things that they are saying in a vacuum are communicating one thing, but because there is context and because of the way the director chooses to focus the camera and because of like the subtle ways that the actor has delivered their performance up until that point, it communicates another thing. So what Bill Murray is saying to this body is like, you jerk, you idiot. Like, why did you do this? You could have gone back to her, whatever, um, to this dead body. And, on the surface, he's just still being a loud, obnoxious jerk. But for whatever reason, there's this subtle difference where he's like saying this to this dead body, but you can tell what he's really doing is saying it to himself. And I think it's just a moment of like real sharp filmmaking, a really great performance from Bill Murray, the music, the setting, the even like the expression on the dead guy's face are so like well put together in a movie that I think doesn't always manage to stick the landing in that way. So that is going to get my Christmas Turkey in the sewer that is in the shadow of Trump tower. Yeah. 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 Damn. Like, I don't know if it is in front of Trump tower or if it's just, he's making a joke because it's a sewer and he's comparing Trump tower to a sewer is. Yeah. I don't care. It makes sense in my brain. (laughs) My own game. Well, speaking it. of Trump Tower, what's going to get your lump of coal for this film? My lump of coal is going to go to the homeless shelter. Okay. Scene. It is the weakest scene across the board. Bill Murray's performance, I don't want to harp on into it because as you can tell maybe by the rest of this podcast after that scene, I think from that scene on, he's yeah. gold. Like I think he's shooting like Jokes being lame or dated aside, every his performance is solid from that sure. point forward. Um, but he's horrible in that scene. Um, Claire is just a weak character that I don't see this person leading yeah. anything, honestly. I don't buy the character yeah. at that moment. Um, the people that help work with her there are incompetent. They're, they're, they don't know what they're doing. They're, they, 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 they are not... They're just, they are doing a bad job, which is bad because Bill Murray needs to be sympathetic there, but yeah. be wrong. But if he's right and an asshole on top of it, it's right. bad. Right. Right. Totally. Um, because you don't point out people anyway. And so then you also have all the people and their performances. And I, I don't like when people are 
I don't know. I just I get weird when mental illness is used as a punching line like this. I yeah. just that's my thing. Um, I'm not the only one I bet, but you know. And so that so it's just it and it weakens Bill Murray for the rest of the movie. It doesn't but see I never saw this. I'll get into that later. Like this scene does more damage than good for this movie. But John, what gets your lump of coal? Hmm. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to take it right to the top and I'm going to give my lump of coal to Richard Donner. R.I.P. Here's my lump of coal for you. So I don't obviously Richard Donner is is not a bad director. Obviously. Right. I know. I know. I'm 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 simultaneously responding to the choice and the chutzpah. So oh, here's the thing, choice. right? If there is a thing that brings this movie down consistently, it's the confusing nature of Bill Murray's performance. And when I originally watched this movie, my reaction was, I'm going to give this lump of coal to Bill Murray because his performance is all over the place. And while it has its like strong moments, it really shoots itself in the foot early on and then struggles to recover. But what is clear to me from reading about this movie is that he had one idea of what this character should be and that Richard Donner had a much worse idea and that Bill Murray and the writers had like sat down and like figured out what this movie was should be like and that Richard Donner just didn't get on wasn't on board with that or didn't get it didn't understand how to work with a comedic actor whatever the situation was so no disrespect to richard donner as a director and as like a figure in hollywood or whatever but i would say that he is ultimately responsible for the worst of this movie here's the deal with mr donner and this scene and your in your choice here you picked donner as a macro but I think we can boil it down to our your uh, your turkey and my coal. We picked the two different extremes of Bill Murray's mm-hmm. performance. You picked the you picked the uh, uh, f- the best ver- version of his performance. Mm-hmm. I picked the worst, and I think that's what we're talking about when you pick your for your coal, yeah. Richard Donner, um, and those violent mood swings between the two. Yeah, I. I, I disagree with you that I mean Bill Murray's very bad in certain points, but I would say that his overall good in this keeps him afloat. But I, yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, no, I my thing is there are moments where he is where he is like bad Frank that are good because they are subtle and controlled, and you can tell it's like this is the performance he wants to be giving, right? The scene where he's with his brother in the street making fun of the jazz musicians, for example, right? And even some elements of that first scene with the with the um, the Scrooge promo. But I think that scenes like that one in the sewer or like his kind of breakdown at the end would be way better if his performance earlier on was more subtle, right? Like more sarcastic more and stuff. less like screaming. And that was the thing explicitly from Richard Donner. Bill Murray was like, he just kept asking me to be louder and louder and louder on every take to the point where I felt like I was just screaming every line, right? That's an explicit Bill Murray quote. So I'm not going to put this mess on Bill Murray because he knew that that was garbage, right? That's a Richard Donner's direction. So it lands in his lap. Or Bill Murray is smart enough to know that that was a crap call on his part. So he's shifting blame. Sure. I think Bill Murray has enough I'm of a track saying, record that I trust his word in this particular situation. I'm not trying to be a dick here. I'm just saying this is one person's 
This is one person's interpretation of things back there. But fair yeah. enough. Well, James, I think I already know the answer to this, yes. but is this movie in your Christmas future or is it staying in your Christmas past? One half of it is. <laughs> Here's what my edit's going to be. I am going to watch the opening scene. I am going to watch the Marley scene. And I'm going to watch from the Ghost of Christmas Pass on. Go to the bathroom during <laughs> the um, during the homeless shelter scene, and then also at the same time make a po- make a thing of popcorn, wash my hands, come back for at least twenty seconds, and right? sit down for at least twenty what? seconds, right? Washing your hands, yeah, 40. <laughs> 40. Really, really get that 40. forty for Delta. Well, you got. Well, we got to. We got to. You know, somebody wash their hands for you. Um, anyway, um, and then sit down and watch the rest of this movie from Carol King on, and just enjoy it. Um, it's this is in my future in some way, shape, or form. Solid performances. The ending is maybe my favorite Scrooge morning scene. Wow, it's. I have one. It's it's pretty. I mean. For what it's trying to do, what a Scrooge morning scene is trying to do, it is communicating the message totally very yeah. well. It is, it is, it is pleading deadpan to humanity and to a generation to save its soul and to be a better people. And I think it succeeds on that. But John, is this in your Christmas past or your Christmas future? <sighs> So I will say I want to I want to doff my cap to you because I think your your analysis in this discussion talking about the kind of like TV generation and the way in which that sort of intersects with a lot of this stuff has really changed my mind a lot on my overall opinion of this adaptation. Um, I don't I don't know if I would put this up with my favorites, right? It. I'm I'm like <laughs> drawing this out a little, I guess, but it has some really <laughs> genuinely great moments. And I think that as like a Christmas Carol for like kind of eighties boomer generation specifically, it does a really good job. I don't know if I see it in my Christmas future. Hey Mary, what's he doing? He's taking a long time. You think he's going to talk crap about this movie? Yeah, I think he is. I think he really didn't like it, so he's going to put it in his past. Oh, we're going to flame him in the comment section. Oh, yeah, I'm going to leave him a one-star review. No, don't do that. Also, we're going to have to hear Jimmy talk about the five-star review again. Oh, good point. Should we stop listening? No, let's keep listening. What's he going to say? Um, But, yeah, so I would, I would say I would put it in my Christmas past. I've only seen this once before doing this review of it, and I was like, Okay, that was a, that was a movie. I don't know if that's my favorite movie I've ever seen. It wasn't bad, and that's kind of still my opinion. It's like not my like out of the hundreds of movies that I've seen, I don't think it's you know close to something that I would super want to watch again unless like it happened to be on. So I would put it in like my fond past. Like it was good. I enjoyed watching it. It's got some great moments, but I'm not going to go out of my way to watch it. Does if that makes sense. I don't have a super nuanced reason Look, why. I'm just like, it was, it was. 
you don't have nostalgia tied to it though. That is true. I do not. I have, I have tons of nostalgia tied to this. This is my brother's favorite version of a Christmas Carol. Like this is this this is pretty, this is pretty big in my family's household. So like, wait, what am I doing? My name is like on everything. <laughs> I looked over all our stuff the other day. I was like, oh, there's my name. <laughs> I remember at the very beginning of this thing. We're like, so we're gonna be anonymous, right? Oh, totally. John, Jimmy, okay. <laughs> No, this is going to be big, and this is big in the Zimmerman family, and it's going to, it's it still is. We watched it a couple of years ago. I remember me and the family, but again, we only watch from a certain point sure. forward. Yeah, you know, at least I have only ever watched it from a certain point, and I've always enjoyed the scenes I've seen. I really don't like that one scene. I think yeah, that scene rough. is Bill Murray at his worst, and that's saying something when you have the tearing the little kid picture scene down. So. This movie is more flawed than I remember it being, but the but the good here outshines Certainly. the bad. Certainly. Yeah, I wouldn't take that. I, I do think that that is a deciding factor. Just like coming into it without that nostalgia for like this particular kind of brand of 80s comedy, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like firmly a late nineties, early two thousands kid when I like sort of was coming up and this just wasn't one that I saw. So I don't have that same like level of attachment to it. John, do you remember the night we watched Caddyshack? Oh yes, I do. You had never that seen That is true. Caddyshack. I had not. It had, it, it, you, so there's a bit of a, what is our age gap here, John? I'm 34 31. year it's not much. It's not much of an so age gap, th- but you, but you are a younger an, sibling. It, like your brother and sister are older. I had right? older siblings. I had uncle. I had, I had, I had some uncles that would share some stuff with me. Like my grandfather yeah. had this. On so VHS, like our age isn't different, but our generational house. influences are very different. Very different. So I remember watching Caddyshack, and there's a point to this, friends. And it was like two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, you've never seen Caddyshack. Oh, my me meow. We're going to watch that right now. And it's two o'clock in the morning. And I spent like 20 minutes finding a way to find it because like we didn't I just couldn't go on YouTube at the moment. So I had like get it through on demand somehow late night in the morning. And we did it. And we sat there. We watched it. And I have been I have never been more horrified to watch a movie with a friend. I was like, I used to laugh at this. I mean, look, Caddyshack Bill Murray is, a good is the, movie, is the best thing it. in that movie by like a but by if, a country you, mile. He's the best thing in that movie. But if you're if you weren't taught at a young age that that's the type of jokes to listen to, right? Like if you're not taught like Caddyshack is funny, you're looking at like what's going on there, what's happening here. That's not funny. That's assault. <laughs> that's lame. What is going on here? Who who did what? What is how? What is where? It is just. It's like it it really is like an encapsulation, though, of like knowing that this is like, you know, Boomer and Gen X, like this is kind of their thing and watching it. It's like, oh, that's why we have all these problems, because these people grew up like this is funny, not this is extraordinarily problematic. Right. So we've got a and that's why they look at us and like you're so sensitive, like they were making jokes about this on Caddyshack. And it's like, no, that's no. (laughs) You're brainwashed. <laughs> like, like, yeah, you, you lived, you had some pretty hardcore jokes there, buddy. And if that was just, 
that wasn't even going too blue. You know, like there were some things that were just fine and dandy. And man, it's oh boy, oh boy, John. Well, so my point is, like, you had no nostalgia tied to Caddyshack, and those jokes didn't land for you. And I've already been indoctrinated to this. I, this is already in my, you know, I, I I already like it because I liked it yeah. in the past. Yeah, it makes you total know? sense. If you, sh- ah. yeah, I still think it is good. Oh yeah, I'm I'm certainly think- not saying that it is not good. That's I'm that. Let right. let me be clear. This was a this especially on watching it a couple more times is actually a pretty good movie. I would say that it's just very far from my favorite movie and not super close to like my favorite version of a Christmas Carol. So, uh, Jim, what are we going to watch next week? We're going to watch a Christmas Carol where Scrooge gets to see some. Yes, ghosts. we are. Um, we're actually lingering in the 80s for the next one. We're, we're only jumping a few years earlier to 1984. Um, we are going to be watching. Uh, ironically, a TV movie version of A Christmas Carol starring oh one George C. Patton Scott. God damn it, Dickens, I read your <laughs> book! <laughs> um, this is, a, this is um, a... So for a TV movie, a pretty big one for me personally. So I'm very excited to I, rewatch this and talk about it. I must have seen this. I know I've seen a clip of it here somewhere. Of course I have, but I don't recall it or anything like that. I have no tangible connection to it, but I am really looking forward to this. I love George C. Scott. This is a man who just goes full regalia on everything. Like, and I don't care if, Stanley Kubrick maybe manipulated this poor bastard in giving an over-the-top performance in Dr. Strangelove. That is my all-time favorite performance in almost any movie ever. He's gold in that movie. George C. Scott is amazing. And if you have never seen him in... Because older movies. And we gotta... You can't consume all media, folks. So if you've never seen George C. Scott... God, at least watch either Patton. Se- like... Patton... Doctor Strangelove, Exorcist 3. Do the good Exorcist sequel. Like, legit good. I did. I was A, not aware that there was a three and not aware that it was a good movie because I assumed it, it like could only go downhill from two. Completely different movie. Completely different. Like, I don't want to spoil it for you because it's kind of, it's out there and there's like, all right, I'll give you the comparison. It's 2010 space odyssey to 2001. Interesting. Okay. I've, I mean, I've never seen seen 2010, 2010, but I know like of it. Yeah. 2010 is more like, we're going to talk about the big world concepts out in the open, like a Marvel cinematic universe conversation. Like there is, but there's, but it's, it's kind of hard to describe. I don't want to ruin it for you, but we should watch that sometime. Yeah, we can it's, do that. That's flip. So yeah, we're gonna be watching a yeah, Christmas yeah, Carol yeah, next yeah. time. <laughs> we guys, we just haven't been able to hang hang out in a while. And talking about a Christmas Carol is fine, but like we want to, we also want to 
have a friendship. So this, this man's my best friend. Okay. Like I haven't been able to hang out with him in over eight. Months. I have two children that he's literally never met. And I really want to hang out with these kids. They're, they, they seem awesome. I want to, I want to hang out with you. I want to hang out with, with the wife. I want to hang out with the kids. I want to hang out at your place. I want to see everybody, but freaking yeah. COVID. Wear your yeah, masks, get, people. Get I'm vaccinated. vaccinated I'm wearing my mask. If you have thoughts about Scrooged, or if you have thoughts about the George C. Scott Christmas Carol, and you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at jacobmarleysdead at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach out to us on uh, Twitter or Instagram or uh, Facebook. We have all of the you know fascist uh, social media platforms here at Jacob Marley is Dead, like good little consumers. Uh, James... <laughs> What else could people do if you're they really want to support us? To, you're really going to throw to me to be the corporate shill on I, this one I now, buddy? I certainly am. <laughs> well, you know what? As a good corporate shill, I will definitely beg you to go and leave a five star, five star, five star, five star, five star review, sir. Like some more of those. Very nice if we get some more five star reviews. Hey, I read them. Okay. You think I haven't read them? I've read them. And the little angry comment in one of them? I know who you're talking about. And it ain't the guy I'm talking to, okay? <laughs> I am not an angry man. I am a very happy he man. Said angrily. Um <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> As always, we have some thank yous. Thank you to uh, Ben DeVries for our opening, closing, and interstitial music. Thank you to Milo Newman for our great podcast cover art. Uh, thank you to Zane and the good folks at That's Not Canon Productions for uh, allowing us to be part of their podcast collective. We're in good company with some really, really great shows that you should check out on their Patreon. And thank you, of course, to you, the listener, who continues to tune into this show as we become less and less hinged going through talking about a Christmas Carol. Um, we appreciate your, your time and your patronage, and we hope that we can be entertaining and informative for you. Um, and with that, until we see you next time, as tiny Tim observed, God bless us. Everyone. On Christmas day in the morning.